You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Lou Anders. He's the editor of the Pyre imprint of Prometheus Books, a new science fiction imprint. Thank you for joining me, Lou. My pleasure as always. Lou, tell me about the Denvention. What did you think of the setup itself? Did it work out nicely? Well, it was a very interesting convention. Um, the convention center itself was huge, and we were behind another convention, so that even staying across the street at the Hyatt Regency, you still had a good 15 <laughs> 15, 20-minute walk to hoof it to your panels. So uh, the largest complaint I heard from people was that it was, it was too spread out, too big for the size that we are. That being said, everyone I dealt with from the hotel to the convention staff were very, very nice, very, very helpful, very, very professional, no hiccups that I saw, and uh, had a marvelous time. So it, I, let's talk about the Hugos. Uh, it looks like uh, Michael Chabon has a full sweep of the Science Fiction Awards this year, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks like I'm going to have to read that one. Um, you know, I, Ian McDonald and I were talking, and we said it's, uh, it's absolutely no shame to lose to a man who's already got the Pulitzer and says he prefers the Hugo. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really interesting, I think, to see Chabon's work so elevated, because it would be my sense is that the general science fiction populace, the people who are buying Pyre books and buying um, the EOS books and buying Tor books are not going to be particularly likely to be reading Chabin's book. Well, we, you know, obsessively poring over the voting data that they pass out at the Losers Party, as you do, you know, <laughs> um, after you've been stressed out and are on your way to being inebriated, so take it with a grain of salt. It looked to us like everyone who voted for Brazil also voted for the Yiddish Policeman's Union and vice versa. Uh, so I, don't, I, I can't speak for the other books, but it looks like the people who are reading Chabon are reading Ian McDonald. Well, the actual... Obviously not as many people are reading Ian McDonald are reading Chabon, but the people who are reading McDonald are also reading Chabon. <laughs> Uh, that doesn't come as too much as a, of a surprise, really, because uh, I, my experience of uh, McDonald's work is that it's it's really beautifully layered and quite literary. And this and uh, Brazil, in particular, I think was, I, I, you know, a step almost away from science fiction in, in many senses. Well, two two comments on that. Um, one is I know that Michael himself is reading Brazil because he's written me about it and says he likes it very much. Um, but I think that Brazil, you know, we remember we do have swords on to the plank length, cutting people in half, and martial arts fights, and a computer at the end of time, etc. So, while it's definitely a step closer to literary fiction, I think most of the, most of the examples of literary sci-fi that we're seeing perhaps only focus on one trope at a time, or take a very generalized approach to the trope, and Brazil is still pretty hard SF. That's true. So uh, tell me about some of the other awards. Uh, who won what, and what did, how, how do you think that pans out for you know, a general look at the science fiction world these days? Well, I tell you, one of the things I'm most excited about is Stefan Martinier's uh, Award for Best Artist. No, that's not surprising. His stuff is really amazing. Mm-hmm. But you know, we, we had seen uh, people complaining online that the same people were getting nominated year after year after year, and I actually think that before we go any further, I think that, that, that that's all right. It's a fan-voted-on award. If someone has 
done work that engenders them to the fan community to the point that they are getting nominated over and over again, more power to them. But, you know, certainly more attention paid to the art, the contemporary artists we have doing good work is a good thing. And with names like John Picasso and Stefan Martinier and Daniel Santos showing up on the Hugo ballot, then that, that I think the evidence is that, 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 that fandom is starting to pay attention to the work that new contemporary artists are doing. And Stefan winning is the proof. And, and John Picasso in, in very close second. Right. And also uh, a, a big upset, best fan writer uh, <laughs> after a, <laughs> after how many years had uh, yes, Mr. Langford yes. won? Well, I, you know, I, I'm all behind that. I read whatever on an almost daily basis. I, I think it's really interesting, too. Uh, you know, the Hugo Awards have such a huge effect and have a, a, a lot of clout when you uh, look at a novel and says it's nominated for a Hugo. We really think, boy, that's that's something. But then when you start looking at these voting tallies, you think, wow, you know, that's, a, that's only like 400 people voted for yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to bear in mind it's, it's a roving convention. You know, if the convention were always held in the same city and you had a, a, a consistent member pool, you would get higher results. Numbers, but this is the you know the attendees of the current and the previous convention plus supporting members. So, the group of people that you're talking about is always changing, and only a small percentage of that group can take the time to vote. Right. Well, that's well, that's actually my point is that it's chosen by a rather small and self-selected group. Not, and I think the self-selected aspect is kind of important here because you'll get different votes depending on where the conventions are located and who's attending and where they were located last year as well. Mm-hmm. So, tell me uh, about uh, some of your thoughts on the uh, uh, movie votes as well. Oh well. On on the um, the short form and long the short form. form on the short form, I am am actually quite pleased with the results. I I have a disclaimer that Paul Cornell was a very very good friend of mine, so of course I was pulling for Paul. Although I absolutely love Blink and I absolutely love Human Nature, and choosing between them is not something I want to do. Uh, I think Blink was the the favored candidate and he won, and Paul was right behind it in second place. I'm ecstatic about that because I think, and I think you and I have talked about the fact that Doctor Who, at least as written by those two guys, is doing some of the best television that's been on in decades. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting about it is that the the highest quality aspect, I think, of it is, in fact, the writing. I mean, the, the, not, this is not to say the production and the acting and, and the rest of it is 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 bad or anything. It's all quite good. But I think that what the standout uh, thing that especially people who aren't familiar with the show or aren't familiar with science fiction will take away and say, boy, you know, that was a pretty cleverly written piece of uh, uh, video. Absolutely. And, and I'd like to talk to you a little bit now uh, uh, about um, the, the long form. Tell me, what are your thoughts on the winners there? I need to call up the winners there. I know that... Uh that Gaiman's film won, but I can't remember what the ranking is below that. So so who won? I'm uh, sorry. Stardust won, then oh. Heroes, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Enchanted, and Golden Compass. Uh, we've talked about what I thought about Starbucks before, which is that it's a good film, but I can understand why it didn't play for a larger audience. I'm perfectly happy for it to win. 
despite the fall off in in Heroes second season, the first season is still a very tight, very very good season of television. I think Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, uh, as Harry ages, the Harry Potter movies approach uh, just adult fantasy, and that one certainly uh, was uh, probably the best one since the second one, and the closest to just being an adult fantasy film. Haven't seen Enchanted. Looks wonderful. Watched Golden Compass on a plane without sound and thought it just had too much snow and bears and not enough else for me to go back and find out what the dialogue was. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to confess that I never saw the Golden Compass and it looked a little bit too um, too crowded and a little, uh, I guess, lacking in some kind of uh, core appeal, I guess, of the characters or of the, the through line, the plot line. It just... It, in fact, a lot of this, these uh, fantasy movies that have followed on um, Lord of the Rings' success just have left me pretty cold. I, I think I watched like about 15 minutes of Narnia and gave up on it. Just didn't, None of that stuff has, has grabbed my interest, to tell the truth. Well, I haven't seen the second Narnia. Um, the first one, I felt like, demonstrates the difference between Tolkien and Lewis, which is that Tolkien is for adults and Lewis is for children. And when you try and film Narnia like Tolkien, I think that it shows up the, the threadbare bits in the, in the world building. Um, Golden Compass just you know it was on on the back of the seat in front of me while I had a book in my lap, so I saw everything without listening to any of it, and it just didn't seem like it had enough set pieces. You know, I saw a building and some snow, and it didn't look like it went anywhere else. And the building looked nice, and the bears looked nice, but I'm not sure two hours of snow and bears is enough. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about some of the kind of upcoming big... There's a couple of huge uh, science fiction uh, writing pieces that are coming out soon. We've, we've got the new Neil Stevenson book, which is a full-blown space opera all on... On another planet. On another planet. Yes. <laughs> what are the critics that, have, that love the Baroque cycle going to do with that? I, I have no idea, but it seems to have borrowed quite a bit of the feel of the Baroque cycle, which I think is really an interesting uh, track for Stevenson. Mm-hmm. And it also includes a CD of some very strange music. I, have you heard any of this music? I have not. I didn't know it came with a CD. Yeah, it comes with a, a CD of all vocal music, and it's, well, uh, I think it, it's not going to go to the top of the pops, but uh, for people who like eclectic and strange music, this is something to be almost worth buying the book for as well. And have you seen or read any of the new Gaiman book? No, I have not. He has a, a new young adult book coming out that's getting quite good reviews. So it looks like it's going to be, as I say, a, a pretty big year for uh, science fiction, a couple of these two science fiction authors coming up. And I'm wondering, tell me a little bit about what uh, uh, Pyre has on, on offer. Well, coming out next month, we have the third and final volume of Joe Abercrombie's first law series, The Last Argument of Kings. Very excited about that. That's been our best-selling series so far, and this wraps it all up with a, an ending that kicks you in the teeth and leaves you numb and blown away. We are launching a new fantasy series, Tom Lloyd's The Stormcaller. It's, uh, the, the series is called The Twilight Rain. It's a five-book series. Uh, Cheryl Morgan reviewed the British edition a while back and said that it was uh, as if a more cocky and anti-hero was set loose in Middle-earth. That sounds good to me. <laughs> now, did you pick this up from the British publisher? Who was I British? did, from Gallant. For Gallant. In, in the U.K., it came out around the same time as The Blade Itself from Abercrombie and did about as well. 
Oh, interesting. Well, I know the the Abercrombie ha- has received really positive reviews, and and, and the, the first book I read, I really enjoyed. Um, so tell me what else. How is uh, Multireel doing? Uh, Multireel is doing very well out of the gate. And, uh, you know, we licensed the mass market of InfoQuake to Solaris and worked together with them to have the mass market out with the matching cover when book two came out in trade. Rick, there's a leaf blower going right by my window as I talk. <laughs> is that going to be a problem? <laughs> Uh, I can somewhat hear it, but it's it's more muted than you might expect the effects of the phone. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm sorry, because it's getting very close to my window as I watch. Um, but Multireel. So Multireel is doing very well out of the gate, and you know David was just up for the Campbell, and I'm so proud of him. He came in number two in nominations, number three in final ballot, which is great considering that at the time that ballots were being cast, he hadn't had a book out for two years, and it was the only thing he'd done. That's so I, I think that's a, a testament to the impression that he's making. It, that's very interesting. I think I, again, the the uh, Hugo's have a and, and the, you know the World Con Science Fiction Awards have a really interesting slant and a way of kind of scooping through noise in some ways that that will, as you say, does reward reward the same people again and again. And in other ways, it picks up stuff that you would never expect. Well, you know the the criticism that rewards the same people again and again. I think is a post-internet criticism, a pre-internet criticism, and, we're, and now that we're in the post-internet world, I think that's changing. And uh, you know, there's just more awareness in general of who's doing what and how and with whom. Um, what used to be a scandal that would take a month to blow through now goes through in a day, and and we just have so much more uh, information available about what illustrators are doing, what covers, what editors are buying, what material, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that's changing and will continue to change. Um, back on just what's coming up, very excited to have just signed a two-book deal with James Ng, who is a writer who's been sort of under the radar, publishing very, very good sword and sorcery in the pages of Black Gate magazine for several years. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, he's written a novel called Blood of Ambrose about the son of Merlin, Morlock Ambrosius, a hundred-year-old med- warrior whose blood boils with contact with the air. And um, marvelous stuff, very much in the Fritz Lieber tradition of sword and sorcery. It's got that, you know, kind of wonderfully inventive quality that some of the best of Michael Swanwick has, where the prose is just fun to read, and you imagine it must have been fun to write. Well, uh, Fritz Lieber was one of the first uh, science fiction fantasy authors I read long, long ago, back with Michael Moorcock. So when you're bringing those uh, two names back into... into uh, uh, range it it really brings back the memories uh, of where where I started and, and I'm wondering whether you know there are people out there who you know saw Lord of the Rings at the age of seven you know dragged to that by your parents who will be picking up Jamesing. Also, because you know the last time I was on your show, you asked me about Mark Chadbourne. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yes. I have since bought six books from him. Oh, good. So you will be happy to know that the Age of Misrule trilogy will be out in spring '09 in trade paperback in three successive books, you know, three books published in three consecutive months with brand-new covers from John Picasso. Oh, wow. And then in late 2009 or early 2010, we will kick off his brand-new Swords of Albion trilogy about Elizabethan super-spy Will Swift, who fights the fairy in, the, in Spain in the Cold War between Britain and the court of Queen Titania. 
Wow, that sounds great. I, I uh, Mark Chadbourne is one of my favorite writers. The the, the uh, Age of Misrule books I thought were just incredibly good, and I I can't believe that nobody has snapped those up for a movie deal because it seems they're absolutely tailor made to be turned into to film. I completely and totally agree. Well, um, anything else that you have coming up? Um, we have the third book in Justina Robson's Sci Fantasy Quantum Gravity series. Oh, that's great. Going under. <laughs> this one takes a, a very, very, very sharp turn into fantasy when Leela Black has to go into the heart of fairy. And she does a wonderful thing where the deeper, the, the further down you go in fairy, the farther back in time you go. So that her companions, who've all come with her, start regressing to their archetypes, to the, to the earlier forms. You know, they become more bestial, uh, less in control of their impulses. They might even become dangerous to her as she goes deeper and deeper on her quest. Wow. I'm really excited about that one. Um, I mean, it's a little bit like Robert Holstock's Mythagel Wood, but it's just magnificent. I mean, I, I, it's somewhere between that and like a Jim Butcher novel. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a strange combination, and it's just a lot of fun. And when she was writing it and I was reading it, I was sitting here thinking, she's done fairy for me, you know. And I would say, no one could ever do fairy as well, except... That again in '09 we have uh, Matthew Sturgis of DC Comics fame. You know he does House of Mystery and Blue Beetle and um, Suicide Squad and a number of other titles. And we're coming out with his novel Midwinter, which is a uh, novel about a member of Titania's royal court who is disgraced, uh, booted out, and serving a life sentence when he is approached with a secret mission that if he survives will exonerate his honor and restore his possessions, and it's magnificent. Now, this is interesting. You're really uh, leaning heavily on the fantasy, I, I see. I know that there are a, a variety of uh, Michael Resnick books coming out. Um, is there any other, uh, and we have, of course, uh, Multireal, are there any other new science fiction authors you're going to be breaking? Soon? Well, you know, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. It's going to be interesting to see how people, how people react to it. We have an almost entirely fantasy season coming out in 2009, and it wasn't on purpose. Uh, Ian McDonald is at work on The Dervish House, his next masterpiece. And David Edelman is working on Geosynchron, the third and final book in the Jump 225 trilogy. And both of those guys <laughs> told me that they weren't going to deliver on time. Uh, Ian, because masterpieces take the time they take, and uh, that's fine. He can take as long as he wants. And I hope, you know, knock on wood, that's our next Hugo-nominated novel when it is finally done. And uh, David, because of some personal issues uh, it, involving upcoming children. Wow. Well, so, um, <laughs> congratulations to him, and I understand why that novel's not on time. Right. No, but, so, um, I had two hard SF novels, you know, that were going to come out and anchor that season, and they both got pushed back a season. And then I bought the Chad Bourne, and, I, and I'm ecstatic about the James Ng, and then everything else in the pipeline. And Matthew Sturgis was all fantasy, so we're going to have a fantasy season. And it'll be interesting to see how people take it. You know, I, there, I, there's some concern that people will say, oh, well, they were a science fiction publisher, now they're selling out to doing fantasy. On the other hand, I think that, and we've been told, that actually what we're known for is not one particular subgenre or, or style, but it's you know, a, a, a higher quality of reading experience, and that's going to continue unbroken. And then the season after, we'll come back with the Dervish House and Geosynchron, and we'll be, you know, right back in the forefront of, the science fiction people pay attention to. 
Well, I, I've always thought of, of Pyre as more just a, a speculative fiction covering the whole range of what's not uh, um, some guy sitting in the kitchen wondering about uh, how he's going to pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's how I think of us. I've been speaking with Lou Anders. He's the editor of Pyre, science fiction imprint of Prometheus Books. Thank you for joining me, Lou. My pleasure as always. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.